Our dear precious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us today. Lord, we thank you for the, the sunshine, uh, the warmth of your love, and the warmth of our brothers and sisters here in uh, this uh, session. And um, we ask um, that you would allow us to, to thank you for the breath that we have for our bodies today because we know that some people didn't get breath today. We... Um, Thank you for this opportunity to be here to learn about health and uh, happiness and home, uh, living longer. Uh, Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit to just um, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, and not only comprehend but be able to um, exemplify, uh, to take back to our, our home places, to use uh, this material, this information that we've been given to further your kingdom. Um, Millie says, change the demography of heaven. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, and we need desperately your Holy Spirit, which brings Jesus into our hearts and into our, our lives completely. A hundred percent yours, dear God, a hundred percent committed, a hundred percent of the time. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. And bless Wes and Millie and John as they present now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, again, we're happy that you're here. And uh, today, uh, John, do we have the PowerPoint for forgiveness ready? Okay. 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 Uh, one of our most popular topics that um, is worth um, you really studying yourself and giving it to someone. And I just hope that every one of you will be dedicated to start immediately, as soon as you get home, to start using this material on one person or two people or a group of five or six or a seminar or something. But one of our most popular topics is the topic of forgiveness. And there have been so many life changes that have taken place because of this topic. Uh, we have uh, a pastor from Gary, Indiana. He had his whole church studying this forgiveness topics for four weeks, having small groups from uh, marketing it out of a in newspaper, television, different places, and had little small groups all over the state, uh, I mean, all over the city of Gary on this topic of forgiveness. And this one pastor said, this topic changed my life, he said, because he didn't have a good relationship with his father. It changed his family's life, and it changed his parishions, uh, parishioner's life. And I know once we gave this topic to someone, um, to a group, and I don't, can't remember, but a lady came up to me afterwards. She says, for the first time in 20 years, I have finally forgiven the, the church elder in Africa who killed my father, you know. And so that's a biggie, but we've got other biggies to share with you today. And John, um, how are we going to do this? Okay, how, how much do you want in PowerPoint? How much do you want in their books, Billy? Okay, right now, uh, you do have this in your books, but I think right now we're going to use our books for the small group discussion, and uh, we'll just kind of start with where we are. And I guess I have to be close to you. All right, M Millie has said this is a favorite topic, 
Um, the, um, I, I think it stands out among all the topics of wind wellness. Uh, Pastor who's in charge of the MA program at the seminary in Andrews, he said he went to Florida and he presented this topic. He said he never saw anything like it. He, saw, he said the people were in tears. And the, Now, we're not here to try to make you cry today. Uh, and uh, we're, we're here for a training program. But um, he says people came forward confessing their sins. He said um, the closest thing he'd seen to a revival. And uh, the, um, uh, he said that a lady came up and gave her testimony and said that uh, her mother, aged mother, do I have the story straight, Melanie? Uh, aged mother was, was uh, out for a walk, attacked by pit bulls, found drowned in an irrigation ditch. And she knew who had the pit bulls, and they were not taken to justice. And she found forgiveness for this whole situation that day in that meeting. So uh, we're, we're dealing with, uh, with powerful topics that can be used uh, by God for his honor and his glory. Uh, <clears throat> okay. You decide if you want them following. No. You know, okay. Well, sometimes, sometimes we need a little more space than this, but. Okay. Well, we'll go forward uh, right now. Thank you. Um, this, the first uh, story that we have in here is about a young man I'll tell it. Okay, by the name of Paco, and John will tell the story. <laughs> it's a Spanish story, and I speak Spanish, so. Whoa. He, he I'm, I mean, he's a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, <clears throat> Paco lived in Spain. And uh, Paco and his father had had a terrible fight, a misunderstanding. At the end of the misunderstanding, Paco packed his pack, and he headed for the big city of Madrid. And his dad, uncomfortable with the whole situation, you can imagine. But with the passing of a couple of weeks, Father is repentant about the crisis that happened in the family. And so he took out an ad in the El Liberal newspaper of Madrid. And it says, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet you in the Hotel Montaña Tuesday at noon. So Father travels to the big city, the capital of Madrid, and he directs himself to the Hotel Montaña, only to find in the plaza in front of the hotel 800 young men by the name of Paco <laughs> waiting for their fathers, hoping to claim forgiveness. Now, this is a story of Ernest Hemingway. I, I, I suppose it was based on some truth, but a uh, famous, famous writer. 
Uh, but there are a lot of people out there searching for forgiveness who don't always know how to find it. You and I who have the concepts from the Bible, we can help them in this respect. Let's look at some definitions of forgiveness. Forgiveness is bearing the consequences of another's wrongdoing and letting the wrongdoer go free. Well, that's a, that's a heavy. <clears throat> uh, I like... Uh, I like this. Uh, this is a more favorite definition of mine. True forgiveness is the beautiful fragrance which the flower sheds on the heel of the one who crushes it. Uh, yes, that's, that's true forgiveness. Maybe you have your uh, definitions of forgiveness as well. Now, why should we forgive? <clears throat> if there were no other reasons to forgive, <clears throat> there is sufficient reason just because it will improve your own emotions and better your own health. Thank you for your help. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying that this would be the highest motivation for forgiveness. The, these ladies, they'll, they'll fix me up here somehow or another. <laughs> and uh, our son Wes gives this definition. Forgiveness is the only prescription in the entire universe that is powerful enough to unlock the chemical bonds of hostility, resentment, and bitterness. Uh, Tremendous dynamic that we have here in forgiveness. Okay. Uh, there are, usually when we have uh, a hard time forgiving, it's because we're angry about something. Uh, we've been hurt. We have some pain. We're angry. We're upset. We're disappointed. All of these things can uh, make us a lack for uh, forgiveness. Somebody has but when we are having all these problems, uh, we, our blood pressure goes up, our ears may ring, uh, there's uh, an adrenal rush, uh, blood coagulates quickly, increase in blood uh, sugar, uh, the lungs move oxygen more rapidly, uh, stomach uh, is in knots. See, the, uh, we have a nurse, does the stomach look like this? <laughs> it's in knots. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, these are some of the things that do ha happen. And there's a lot of research. Uh, uh, here it says uh, resentment. Uh, uh, to harbor resentment against someone is to allow a person you may not even like to live rent-free in your mind. Did you get that? You allow somebody else <coughs> who has hurt you <coughs> have a space in your mind. And, and a lot of times, many of us will keep thinking about, it's like a, um, we used to say, a, a tape recorder or a CD going on in your mind <clears throat> all the time. You know, she did that, he did that. And uh, so 
We are the what? Victims. Are we are the we are the victims of what happened. We are suffering. They aren't suffering, but we are suffering, right? <clears throat> Forty-five studies on hostility and physical health strongly indicate hostility as a risk factor for heart disease and premature death. Now, when, the, when, they, when they join 45 studies and review them all together and find the common denominators, you've got a lot of statistical strength. Uh, this is, uh, as uh, Wes would say, this is true truth. Uh, there are other studies. <clears throat> we just have this one. <clears throat> by, the, by the way, this is the one of the greatest compliments <clears throat> we ever heard about the Wind Wellness Program was from our own son. He says, Wind Wellness is true truth. He, he wasn't making a public declaration. He was just telling us, uh, I, I think, I hope you find it the same way. Okay, John, <clears throat> in this topic of forgiveness, there's more research. <clears throat> Can you find it? <clears throat> All right, let's... Uh, we're, we're dealing with topic number five, and this is on page 66 of this book, Getting Started. Getting Started Does, is there on the Path to Health and book? Healing. Yeah. Okay, there's Here's another back. hand. He needs a, a book. Somebody else needs a book. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> okay, let's, uh, let's look at the, uh, let's look at some of the uh, research. research. <clears throat> okay, on page <clears throat> here is a new one on page sixty-seven. <clears throat> uh, can we have a volunteer to read? Page 67, the last paragraph, Elizabeth Blackburn. And I'll, uh, I'll come searching the volunteer to get it on the tape recorder. Don't all speak at once, please. Here we go. Elizabeth Blackburn, a Nobel Prize winner, in her genetic research discovered the telomerase en enzyme that if kept healthy will reduce the chance of formation of cancer cells. She says, chronic severe psychological stress makes the telomere and the enzyme telomerase wear down. Stress was a factor in Bonnie's health and contributed to her cancer. Okay, we've just told the story of Bonnie here. We didn't, we didn't repeat it for you. Uh, did you want to tell it, Millie, or not? Okay, uh, but let me, let me just say this. Uh, on, the, on the tail of every chromosome, last night we were talking about genetics, every chromosome has a tail. And as we go through life, the tail wears down. And the theory is, and this, this is Nobel Prize winning uh, research, the theory is that the, the uh, tail, this, the end cap, on the chromosome, genetic, genetically speaking, can, uh, this can replace itself about 50 times in your lifetime. And so 
when you, uh, this is the process of aging. When the, when you have, when you have replaced uh, uh, that, uh, that tail, the, 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 the tail keeps getting shorter and shorter, and your perspective lifespan keeps getting shorter and shorter as that tail uh, decreases in size. Uh, now, Elizabeth Blackburn found that this was true, and it was dependent upon the enzyme telomerase. This was her prize-winning, Nobel Prize-winning discovery. The interesting thing, last night, Wes shared with you the research of Dean Ornish uh, about genes. Those people, those men with prostate cancer, low level, who went, uh, underwent the three months of lifestyle change, they found that their, that their uh, telomerase enzyme increased 30%, which they're actually elongating the tail on the chromosome. You see what that means in the aging process. Well, what, uh, what this uh, Nobel Prize winner has said here, severe psychological stress makes the telomere and the enzyme telomerase wear down. So when you have bitterness and anger in your heart about anything, you're carrying that around for years, what are you doing? You're just wearing down the telomeres in your, in your chromosomes. You are strengthening the aging process. You're limiting your own life. We always change the names, and sometimes you can't tell that it's my story. Or, but anyway, this is one of my stories. She came to my to uh, to visit me, and she said to me, "Millie, do you know that? Uh, did you know that I had cancer before?" And I said, "No." And so she says, "Well, she did, but and everything went well, but and she thought she was doing fine, but after." shoveling snow in Michigan. She took a hot bath, and while bathing, she felt her abdomen, felt something strange. And so she uh, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, it looks like it is, uh, you do have another problem. They went through the lab tests, and she diagnosed that she did have cancer. And uh, she said that previously, the doctor told her that, uh, that they had even sent information to the National Institute of Health, and they identified that this type of cancer that she has was stress-related. And the doctor told her, he said, Bonnie, he said, I don't know what your stress is, but you need to take care of it. And so uh, she uh, now was having another problem, and so she says, I've come to you for two reasons, not only just to pray for me, but also that you help me with my stress problems discovered her stress problems was that her husband was terminated from a job without being able to, to uh, defend himself. And, and Bonnie was a happy, smiling person, always smiling at everybody. But inside she was, you know, she was stewing with what this happened, how unfair it was to their family and to their education and, to, you know, all, the da -da -da, all those kinds of things. And finally, <clears throat> uh, anyway, so she was here just 
you know, sharing. And I says, well, Bonnie, you know, the Bible says, you know, if uh, you can go to your brethren and talk about it and all that. And I says, uh, after, uh, uh, after your surgery is we'll over, we'll go to the people who hurt you. And we'll, let's see if we can kind of um, solve this problem, whatever. And so she said, okay, the surgery went well, she was better. And I says, Bonnie, now I can go with you uh, uh, to those administrators who hurt you. And she said, you don't need to. And I says, why? She said, because I've taken care of it. I said, how? And she said, I, I, I uh, said the foot of the cross prayer. I said, foot of the cross prayer, what do you mean? And she says, oh, you know, forgive them for they knew not what they did. And uh, again, that was a lesson to me too, what the foot of the cross prayer is. And so she took care of it. And she says, when these thoughts come back to me, I say, I say um, I'm not going there. Uh, I've already forgiven and it's taken care of. And, and that's another important part. Just don't go back after the forgiveness has taken place. If you forgive them mentally, you don't have to go to them and say, I forgive you. You just say, God, I forgive them. That's all you need to do. You don't have to go to anyone. And God will take care of it. And that will release something in your body. Okay, John. And here is my uh, other story, which is... We have our stories. This is Millie's story. <laughs> okay. Uh, Eva Edith Egar. Edith Eva Egar was uh, at our Family Life International a few years ago. Any of you go to our Family Life International? We, we did it for 24 years. Anyway, but she came there. She was, is a Jewish young She is a Jewish lady, and um, she was a ballerina. She was studying to be a ballerina when, she was studying to be a ballerina when, um, uh, when uh, uh, her mother and she and, and sister. sister were taken by uh, Nazis, yes, to a concentration camp, and when they got to the concentration camp, they were processed uh, and were in line, and they got, came to the place where mother was told to go to the right, the girls were to go to the left. Uh, Edith said, "I don't, I don't, I want to stay with my mother," and. And so she broke line, went to with the mother. The guard took her and took her over again to the left. And she did this twice or so. And finally, she, her mother left, and the guard said, she's just going to get a shower. So she left. And uh, as time passed, uh, Edith said, where is my mother? And someone said, see that smoke up there? That's your mother. She never saw her mother again. She was put into the gas chamber. And so she, all this pain for a loving mother, and there she was. They were starving. She was starving to death. Her sister was always hungry. Once she went over a fence trying to get some uh, carrots for her, she was caught and by a guard, and she was beaten, you know, terribly. The guard, I guess, kind of felt sorry in the end because he, the next day, he gave her a loaf of bread. But anyway. So uh, they were put on top of trains and as hostages so any air flight above could see them uh, on and they would not bomb these, these, uh, the train. Uh, Which is actually carrying arms. Yes. Anyway, 
there, there were so many bad things that were happening in this concentration uh, camp. They would be taken on long marches, and if you lagged behind, they would shoot you. Her sister was one of those lagging behind, and so uh, she and Edith and another person made a kind of chair in their arms and carried the sister uh, uh, to a destination. Anyway, they, it, they were treated like animals, inhumane. And finally, the war was over, and she was at another concentration camp. And when she was, uh, when the war was over, the GIs, American soldiers, came in, and to that area, and they were cleaning up. and And one GI saw all these stacks of bodies, dead bodies, and they just put them like wood on top of each other. And as he's looking at this very sad sight, he saw a wrist move, just a wrist. And he realized that individual was alive. And he uh, picked her up, gently carried her away to give her medical care. And she lived to tell her story. Uh, she uh, immigrated to U.S. and later on uh, was uh, in a psychology program, psychiatrist, I think. And she uh, was invited to go to Darmstadt, I think it was, to uh, uh, for some kind Hitler's of bunker, yeah. oh, it was in <coughs> okay, Hitler's bunker, Melly. Oh, it was okay. Hitler's bunker. Okay, and there, when uh, she was there, she decided in Germany that she would go back to um, uh, Auschwitz. And when she went to Auschwitz, she relived what had happened to her, and she decided to process it and get rid of it. She had carried it for 40 years, and she said, it affected my marriage, it affected my family, it affected my relationships. I was a negative person, I wasn't a kind person, and uh, her face would show her anger. Anyway, finally, she gave it all up, and she was set free. She said she felt like a butterfly. She was a new person, and this is what happens when you give it all to God and you say, God, take over, and it ends up it ends up that uh, after this, when she was with us, she had these key words about forgiveness. She says, I refuse to be a hostage and prisoner of the past. And you will have those, all those in there. And then she also says, it's okay to go through. The, these, are the, these are the chambers where they burned the yeah. prisoners. It's okay to go through the ovens. about our past. Not okay to get stuck in anger, and this is a problem. Many people get stuck in anger for years and years and years. They, you know, uh, uh, and um, then she says, "We create our own concentration camps," which is true. And here she is, and um, she is a friend of ours. And uh, when we talked to her about having this picture made. Uh, she, we had prayed for her at Family Life International, and she chose, she said to us, uh, John, would you pray for me? And so John prayed for her with the telephone, and when he finished the prayer, he says, in Jesus' name, and, and then he said, oh, you shouldn't say that in Jesus' name because she's Jewish, because you just should say amen, and he kind of apologized. She says, oh, that's all right. He says, I just... Uh, uh, I am just telling all my Jewish friends that Jesus is the greatest forgiver, the greatest lover. And so she, you know, she, anyway, 
That's our Edith, and she says here, I have a choice of being a victim or a survivor. And we must go quickly. Uh, go back to the lion's den. Look the lion in the face and laugh. She the, that's why she went back to Auschwitz, yeah. where it happened. To look the lion in the face. The concentration camp is in your own mind, and the key is in your pocket. If the captors, the captors are the real prisoners, you know, this is deep stuff. The captors are the real prisoners. If I would hate today, I would still be a prisoner. <clears throat> and out of prison comes freedom. Out of tragedy comes triumph and victory. Sometimes uh, there are people who uh, are angry at their parents. And we find lots of people that way who are, are angry. Uh, a lot of young men are angry at their fathers uh, because their father never says, I said, I love you. One, one man rushed to the hospital when he heard his father was dying. And he rushed there, and he was already almost in a coma. And this young man kept screaming until everybody down the hall could hear it and said, don't die until you tell me you love me. Don't die until you tell me you love me. And a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain for many uh, young men and um, uh, daughters as well. Uh, forgiving our parent is one of the on page On page 71, it, it uh, tells us, I don't know if we're going to tell the story here yeah. or not. Stormy Omartian. You read it real quick. She tells the story since her childhood, page 71, first, second paragraph. She was disliked by her mother, who would frequently lock her up in, dark, in a dark closet below the stairs for hours. Although her father knew the abuse, he would not intervene. For years, Stormy suffered emotional pain because of the abuse she received. So then it tells the story, as an adult, she learned that she must forgive. And so she forgave her mother. But she says there are layers of forgiveness. Then she would remember, and there was that other incident with my mother, and the other one. And as the Lord would bring any of those incidents to her mind, she would forgive. Happened progressively over the years. And she tells a sad story. Okay. Most, many stories have a happy ending. This one did not. Yeah. Because... Okay. Because... She says her mother only became more bitter and more difficult as the years went by. And she started down the uh, um, path to forgiveness when she became a Christian. She knew that God had forgiven her. She must also forgive her mother. And it says these days it, come, it is common for some children to blame parents for the way they were ra raised. And when we forgive our parents, it doesn't mean that we will never have to worry about it again. There may be layers of unforgiveness and hurt that uh, build up for years. One needs to forgive every time the thought or feeling comes to the surface. And here, we sometimes will have to... Speak up. Okay. What? Speak up. Oh. Can you hear me? Most of every... All of you can hear me? 
Okay. Uh, this may continue during the life of the parent or even after they die. It is a day-by-day day or even a moment-by-moment moment choice to continue to harbor hate and resentment or to put these things behind us. And we have a few more minutes. Let's go to Wes. Okay. Uh, no. I, I'm going to, we're going to, um, there are steps in forgiveness. Uh, uh, we're going to skip over some things, but it's important that we do this. Steps in forgiveness process the hurts and identify any negative feelings of bitterness and anger which could have a paralyzing grip on your life. Decide if you want to have freedom from these negative emotion, emotional hurts. This is a choice. Tell God that you surrender your hurts to him. Say, I have decided to be free of the past and get on with my life. I am choosing to forgive whoever that person is who hurt us. This is my choice. This is my choice. And, that's, and I choose to forgive. Uh, that's the key word. And here, I have forgiven him or her. I am free. Thank you, Lord, for your freedom and for taking care of things in your own time and way. And Lord, I have made mistakes. Reveal to me those whom I have hurt. Help me to ask them to forgive me. And then there's a post-forgiveness. And of course, when we have enough time, we talk about each one of these points. So we're just kind of giving you an idea of what it's about. But uh, there is a post-forgiveness. So, and in your book, at the end of the book, there are, there are, on that chapter, on forgiveness, um, yes, on pages 79, there are lots of uh, there are steps here on, uh, along the path of forgiveness, which goes into post-forgiveness as well. But here we have, here we have, when the forgiveness process takes place, it does not mean that what was done uh, to me was justified or right. I am only releasing that person, person's wrong from my condemnation. We condemn them. We're just releasing them from our own con condemnation. And like Bonnie, we're not going to go back there. Some people want to keep going back there for years and years. My husband did this and this and told all the pastors for years that what husband did. Bonnie, this lady, decided she needed to forgive him. <laughs> I no longer blame or accuse them. I let them off. I clear them like when charges are dropped in court. I let bygones be bygones. Well, some people, when we said this, I choose to drop them or uh, say, how can you drop it when somebody has raped you? How can you forget it when your, your father has, has taken advantage of you sexually? How can you forgive it? How can you <coughs> drop the charges? But that's part of the forgiveness process. Uh, I no longer, I, I can't see, but care to have, 
I don't try to get even anymore, and I'm lifting the dark cloud that has been over me. <clears throat> okay. Oh, here, I no longer desire to have payback to get even. Uh, I, I am should be. I am, yes, lifting the dark cloud that has been over me. I show mercy. I do not condemn. Condone. Condone, but forgive and overlook the hurt. I move from... E from emotional captivity to freedom, they are pardoned. This person who hurt uh, is pardoned. And you, you come to the, the Bible, which, uh, the, what does the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer say about forgiveness? Forgive them. What does it say? What do they say? Forgive us our debts. As? We forgive our debtors. That's right. <coughs> if God can forgive us, then it is our responsibility also to forgive others. When I realize how much Christ has forgiven me, then I begin to have a desire to also forgive those who have wronged me. And um, let's see, we're just going to, uh, we want West, here I am in one of the hospitals, I think this was, um, and this is where I, I prayed before I was anointed. I called my friends. I t called my children, and I told them that I have made mistakes in my life with, and uh, that to forgive them. And one person I, I, for, I asked to forgive me. She said it was so important. She said the day that you called the day before that you called I chose to forgive you a day before I called and the incident had happened about a year before and and so anyway it freed me and it freed her and she and I are the best of friends right now and here uh, is that's a okay, really that's, fast that's Wes. okay Wes you come in uh, Wes, I'm going to insist. Wes was part of the story. He was there on the island of Palau for this event. And we are going to have to it keep it eight minutes, Wes. Uh, well, it, you, the rest of the time is yours, actually, Wes. <laughs> so uh, you have also... Eight to ten minutes. Well, he, uh, and we have to be through by ten o'clock, so we... We kind of got late started, so, okay. Just make it short, Wes. It's all written up in your, in, in the materials that you have to give. All right, so I wasn't actually planning to tell the story, but I always do what they say. <laughs> um, the, um, this is actually a picture I took of the DePaiva family um, on a Friday. Uh, Pastor DePaiva 
who was an amazing man and uh, amazing musician, had dedicated his life to going where God had called him to go. And um, I first met him on Guam as, as he and his family were passing through, passing through to uh, go to their new appointment on the island of Palau, where he was going to be the head pastor of, of the main Seventh-day Adventist church in Palau. Beautiful island. And he, he had told me, he says, Wes, I want you to come to Palau and help us with um, our plans to, to do extensive testing, diabetes testing on, on the extended islands. And especially he wanted to go to, uh, to some of the outer islands that had never been evaluated effectively for diabetes. And um, so here we are in one of those islands and um, he, his whole family took the day off. It was a school day and they came and helped us with screening this area for diabetes. And uh, we had a wonderful day. Uh, he actually did some sightseeing after we were done with this morning screening. Uh, and, uh, and then on, on that following Sunday, I did a um, reversing diabetes series for the main, at the main island in Palau and Koror. And just about three weeks later, I get a phone call from our clinic administrator. Mike Mahoney said, Wes, are you sitting down? And I go, and he was kind of a jokester, so I, you know, I didn't really think much of it. And I said, no, <laughs> do I need to be sitting down? And he goes, yeah, you need to be sitting down. And he told me the story of what had happened uh, just the day before in Palau when, when uh, a construction worker who had been just working down the street uh, in this remote area of the island where their mission school was had, um, had broken in through the window, the kitchen window, late one night and, um, and essentially killed the entire family and, and abducted their young daughter and kidnapped her for, for nearly two days. Uh, and, um, and so it was, uh, it, it's one of those surreal moments that you think would never happen. You hear about it on the news, but you think this would never happen to anybody that I know. I'd just been there in their home. I'd taken many pictures of them sitting right there. And it was a beautiful home overlooking the rock islands of Palau high up on the hill, and, uh, and we would stand out there and we were looking and, and we were dreaming about the things that God had called us to do and the things that we could do for the people of Palau and Micronesia. And he had great, great plans. In fact, he had, uh, he had become close friends with the, the governor uh, as uh, the president of Palau, but also the king, the high chief of, of Palau, which was not, was not an easy task. And, um, and uh, he had uh, been asked to actually organize a, a countrywide effort to, uh, to prevent diabetes and effectively manage diabetes on the island of Palau. And so he had uh, called in a group of people to be with him on a certain weekend. Uh, and of course, of course, all that was changed after this, this horrible tragedy on the wonderful island of Palau. Well, you can't tell this story in eight minutes, Dad. <laughs> this, uh, the, the family members, uh, his, his parents, who were both professors 
at Montemorelos University. We're shocked and, and, and grief-stricken by this, by this news that how could this happen in an area of the world where just things like that never happened? It just didn't happen. It wasn't like it was, uh, you know, New York City or Chicago. It, you know, this was Palau, uh, places where you never hear about violent acts like this. And um, so everybody got together. Everybody flew into Palau to to console this poor young lady who, who had been kidnapped and, and actually had been strangled apparently to death after two days of abduction and, and uh, thrown over a ditch in a dirt road in the middle of the jungle, expecting that she was dead, but she had not died. She crawls out about 1.30 in the morning onto this dirt, desolate dirt road and is crawling on her hands and knees. And this elderly couple who had just been visiting some family members uh, were driving around 1.30 in the morning along this, this dirt road. And they see this young lady crawling on the road. And they, ca they, they take her and rush her to the National Hospital. They quickly find out who she is. And uh, fortunately, uh, her mother's best friend, who is also from Brazil, the only other woman from Brazil on the island of Guam, came and got the whole story of what had happened. And within hours, the perpetrator had been, had been picked up by the police. So now we have this man in jail who's committed this horrific act against this wonderful family. And the mother of Pastor De Paiva request the high chief, the, the king of Palau, request that she be allowed to go into the jail and confront this man. Naturally, they said, well, no, no, that's completely you know, out of protocol. We cannot do that. But they didn't realize the type of woman that they were dealing with and Mrs. De Paiva. And she insisted that she be allowed to walk into the jail. So they, they decided, okay, we're going to have a guard on each side, and we're going to make sure that this, that this man, you know, listens to her. And they expected that she was going to go up to him and do what? What would you do if, you're, if, you're only, if, you're, if your son and, uh, and your only grandson and your son's wife had been murdered by this terrible act, what would you do to this man? If you had a chance to go in that jail. So they were expecting that she was actually going to get in there and just hit him and slap him and yell at him and tell him how much she hated him. And they, they really expected that. That's, what they, that's why initially they didn't want it to happen. They didn't want to be involved in that. That was actually illegal, right? But they, they actually they said, okay, let's just do this because he deserves whatever is coming to him. Um, but she walked up to him and said, you, you have taken away my wonderful son that I'll never see again. Someone who had given his life to serve others. And you, without thought, took his life. You have taken away my only grandson. He says, there's nothing that you can do that can ever replace what you have destroyed. But I want you to know something. And she's like right 
up to him. I want you to know something. He says, Jesus is willing to forgive you, and I can do no less. So I want you to understand something. He says, I, I want to forgive you. He says, do you, do you want to accept my forgiveness today? And, and he had been standing there, of course, under close guard, being held tightly, expecting to be beaten. And he starts weeping. He breaks down and he says, yes, yes, I want to have that forgiveness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, the story is, uh, actually goes on and on. It's, it's an... It's an amazing story of, it's an example of what Jesus is willing to do for you and I. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, uh, Jesus is already forgiven us. He's not actually waiting for you to ask. He's not waiting for you and I to, act, to break down and say, okay, okay, I'm going to humble myself and ask for forgiveness. He's already forgiven us. That's the beauty of forgiveness, is that we, if we are waiting for somebody else who has done something wrong against us to first ask for forgiveness before we believe that they even deserve that forgiveness, that means we have hostility within our heart. And that hostility is germinating inflammatory changes, physical, chemical physiologic, biochemical changes in our body that destroy us. I mentioned last night that, that um, I was on the, on the airplane on the way out here from California. I was reading through Genesis, and I was struck. I, you know, I, sometimes you just gloss over certain things because you're looking for something that you need that day. But I was just struck yesterday as I was reading Genesis about... That everybody was just looking to get even with everybody else. You know, that was, that was the, the, the M.O. of the day. Don't let anybody take advantage of you. And if they do, look out. And, and I, was, I was looking here in uh, Genesis 4. You know, of course, we know this story of Cain and Abel and the hostility there. But here was... Uh, he was Lamech, who had married two women. And he said to his wives on, on verse 23, uh, Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed the man for wounding me. This man wounded me. I killed him. Does it sound familiar? Okay, do you know that we all do that in our lives? Somebody does something to us. What's the first thing that we think of? Naturally, the human trait that is inbred, engineered within our DNA is, okay, how am I going to get even? What am I going to do to get even? It's so natural that it was even set up in the old system. There was a, there was a, a system of how to go about getting revenge. Um, I have killed the man for wounding me. I have a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, remember what God had said, if anybody hurt Cain, they would be avenged seven times. But then Lamech 
Lamech will be avenged 77 times. Boy, isn't that the ultimate in ego? The ultimate in ego is not being willing to forgive. The ultimate in selfishness is not being willing to forgive. And we have to realize that forgiveness has nothing to do with what, what somebody deserves, with what somebody uh, has, has, they have done their part, therefore now they deserve to be forgiven. Forgiveness is an act that we, that we participate in for the purpose of removing any harm that's occurring in our lives, in our heart, in our mind, in our genes, and then that becomes transferred to everybody else. They can participate in that healing event when we initiate forgiveness on either side of the question. So um, I was at the funeral. A few, uh, about a week or maybe even a week and a half later, the king and the uh, Palau and the president of Palau had been so distraught by this horrible event on their island that they called for a national funeral. All the dignitaries came in. Their national gymnasium was packed full of people who wanted to see this woman who had, they had immediately, within, within hours of this woman, Dr. DePaiva, going into the jail cell. They knew what had happened, and they were, they were awestruck that somebody had been willing to forgive such a horrible act. It was unthinkable of somebody forgiving such a horrible act. So the, the gymnasium was packed, and, and uh, I, I was there representing our clinic in Guam, and you know, I was sitting in the front, and this funeral went on and on and on for three and a half hours. Everybody was speaking. The president spoke. The chief spoke. spoke. Everybody speaking. Finally, at the, after three and a half hours, Professor DePaiva, Pastor DePaiva's mother, stood up. This is after three and a half, she stood up and walked to the front. We were looking at the bulletin. Her name wasn't on the bulletin. Okay, so everybody was like, what is she going to do? And, and she could hear, hear a pin drop in the entire auditorium. And in Palau, as is custom, the men sit on the, on the sides, and all the women come to the floor in the middle of the gymnasium, and they sit down on the floor. It was beautiful, beautiful to see that. And, and as, as Professor DePaiva went up to the podium, she just said, I would like for the mother of the man who killed my son to come forward. Wow. You know, it was just, it was unscripted. It was not on the program. It was like, no, and a lot of people said, what is she, is she finally coming to her senses? Is she finally recognizing that of what has happened to her, her wonderful granddaughter who is there at the funeral? And no, not one person moved. All eyes were on that center of the gymnasium where, where this, this woman was sitting, the mother of this murderer was sitting in that audience. Her entire family had been dishonored 
all the other families and clans around blamed them for what the son had done. They were horrified by what had occurred. She calls again for the mother of the murderer to come forward. Uh, the mother of the murderer to come forward. Nobody moved. The third time she asks, finally you see a stirring in the, in the right middle of the gymnasium. And this woman who is just, you can see, just grief-stricken, anxiety-filled woman. She tries to stand up but can't. And two or three other women come to her aid and pick her up and walk her to the front. She comes up the stairs to the stage. And there, Professor DePaiva embraces his mother and looks her in her eye and says, and says, we are both mothers and we have both lost our son this week. And I want you to know that I and my family do not blame you. All children have to make decisions. All children choose how they're going to live and act. We all have our own responsibilities. And right there in front of the entire national audience, being broadcast across the nation, the national islands, on radio, she, she forgives not just the mother, but she forgives the entire clan and the entire nation of Palau. It's, um, I, I remember I'm just sitting there and I'm just dumbstruck by the power of forgiveness. It was something that I hadn't even expected, even though I knew it had happened just a few days before in that jail cell. I hadn't expected that. And, and as the president and the king of Palau came up again and shared their shared their, their amazement and relief of witnessing such an amazing act of true Christianity. And I remember the president saying, says, we are a Christian nation. We pride ourselves in the fact that we are a Christian nation. But we have never witnessed this type of Christian forgiveness before. <laughs> Power, powerful. So it's, it's important for us to, to recognize that the greatest scourge, excuse me, the greatest scourge and the greatest health risk to our lives is what's going on inside of our minds, is what we're thinking. And if we're not willing, if we're not willing to change the way we think about our, our lives, about how other people treat us, and willing to daily forgive, that actually becomes a much greater risk factor than high blood sugars, a much, much greater risk factor than high cholesterol or whatever it might be. That's the most damaging risk factor, not just emotionally, but physically, medically. 
And so we have the opportunity by really um, absorbing the gospel message into our hearts and fully participating in the act of forgiveness which Jesus modeled for us, we have that opportunity to actually bring healing, healing into our lives in a more powerful way than we could ever imagine. Oh. Uh, this happens to be a picture that I think Wes also took. And Melissa is right here in the, in the center of the little girl. And uh, the rest of the family, uh, Ruth Depive, are there too. Now, uh, we have more here on the principle of forgiveness in the gospel. And uh, little forgiveness leads to little love. Much forgiveness leads to much love. And uh, forgiveness is, a pre is present and freely offered in love before the offender asks of it. And God... God's forgiving mercy is to be the measure of our own. And if we confess our sins, God will abundantly pardon and cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And then uh, we have uh, the forgiveness prayer. And what we usually do is we have everyone to say this forgiveness prayer uh, together. And that's what we're going to do for those who would like to. Let us say it together. Lord, you, you are, are the, the great, great forgiver. forgiver. This, this is, is a time for healing. Help me to be a forgiving person. If I have any bitterness or any unforgiving spirit within me, remove it from me. I choose to forgive those who hurt me so that I may be free. Help me also to forgive myself for my foolish ways. And for those who have unforgiving towards me, I pray that you will soon show me how to handle unresolved problems. Thank you for healing power. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.